Hello and welcome back to We Not Me, the podcast where we explore how humans connect to get stuff done together. I'm Dan Hammond. And I am Peerly. Dan Hammond, how are you doing? Reading any good books? I am. I am. Well, actually, it's very... Apposite or something for something this. Like uh, for this, Not for today's, opposite. I think is that the right word? It might mean opposite. I don't know. Anyway, I've read a couple of sort of hefty books, and I was in a beautiful bookshop, and I went to the music section. And I spotted this book that I've been recommended, which is. A bit strange, but it, well, not strange for me because I don't really listen to his music. But Phil Collins' autobiography, the famous drummer of Genesis, Phil Collins. and I was recommended it because it's so honest. And right from the start, he's just—he's very funny. He's got a great voice in this book, but it's—it's it's just brutally honest. And apparently, I don't remember this, but he totally stuffed up at Live Aid, and uh, he just guts himself basically in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> so but, but it's really it's it's a it's a lesson in autobiography writing i think just so frank and uh yeah it's it's a, and a fascinating journey that he's taken all through the 60s and uh you know tracking that musical life has been great so i'm really enjoying it. it's very re- very relaxing read and i have definitely found that i've i'm for a quite a long while that I couldn't read fiction I could only read autobiographies that that was I don't know and and choosing different scenarios people were in and different ways that you know different ways they responded I can't remember his name now but the guy that went climbing and got his arm stuck in a rock and had to cut his arm his hand off in order to get I read that one and that actually this relates to our guest Ben Paul Jones who um is the was the former creative director of Lad Bible. And I got into this podcast series and Ben had guests on his show that recounted the most extraordinary stories. And they were quite ordinary people, but it was a bit like, you know, the, the, there was a, a very curious part of you. I wonder what it's like to be a porn star or a dominatrix, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just casually, just you know, two, or yeah. <laughs> to have escaped out of, you know, North Korea or, you know, suffered facial deformity and managed and manage that. There was a guy that had to suffer the consequences of giving someone a king punch, you know, one, a one knock punch. And I was last year I was renovating my house. So I would be, you know, painting and stuff. I would listen to these. And I got so interested in really trying to understand what was the what was the rationale for choosing these people? And how was it linked to the purpose of the show? Because Lad Bible, you know, back in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, was not necessarily that broad-minded in its brand. And it was a bit more around, you know, young uni students and and generally sort of slightly childboy, you know, schoolboy humour. But this was actually, there's some really deep conversations. So we are lucky enough to have him as our guest and to really understand what the thinking is behind that and and um, and some of the sort of deeper insights. So let's... Let's hop over and and meet Ben. Can't wait. And a really warm welcome to you, Ben. Thank you very much. Lovely for you to join us. Um, This is Ben Powell-Jones, former creative director from Lad Bible. You may well have heard um, some of his podcasts from Extraordinary Lives around the world. Um, And he's now the co-founder of Strongwatch Studio. So, Ben, we put you as the interviewer into the interviewee seat today. So this is going to be 
really interesting to hear hear your thoughts. And uh, but before we do this, we 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 put you into into a small room with Dan Hammond, who grills you <laughs> with a question just to warm you up, make you feel really comfortable. Exactly, just get you really into the into the groove. So um, I have um, shuffled the cards here at the start of uh, you know, sort of near the start of our new season, and I have a red card for you, Ben. Which you know, as a vintage podcaster, I'd, you, you can write. A <laughs> um, um, so um, the it is it is to complete the sentence. I instantly take against people who. Oh man! I mean, is this gonna? If I say a real one, I feel like people listening might I might lose fifty percent of the audience. So I'm tempted to sort of make a joke. It might even up our numbers. You never know. <laughs> it might do. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the same as everyone else. You know, rude to wait staff stuff like that. It's, uh, that's something that no one likes, is it? But I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you a more interesting one. I don't like it when people uh, say yourself to sound formal oh ben do you know I what i mean love, i do i i'm i you, you, we are we you're my long lost <laughs> brother i think that yes yes and and um and you're how are you i'm fine yourself yeah it's 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 also if you if for whatever reason you find yourself in a position where you're making a complaint and you're sort of <laughs> saying oh i'm really i'm really sorry but the food was cold it's like oh i'm sorry that that wasn't right for yourself sir that kind of like yeah, i love it yeah <laughs> yeah and for the benefit of those who are listening outside england this may sound like a completely un- unintelligible conversation <laughs> Here, you always say one of one of the things you remember about the UK. You're you know you're UK by birth, but a long time in Australia was the fact that English people talk about English and the language and have jokes about the language. The, yeah, uh, well, that's great. That that is a um, what what an Aussie sometimes do is that they put your name at the beginning of a sentence. Right. So okay. they go. So when they're answered, which is a similar thing, which is incredibly off putting. <laughs> So it's sort of because it sort of sounds like you're being told off. So they go, "Well, Ben," and then they tell you what they're going to say. So it's sort of a bit like I've been here all this time. You don't have to use my name again. <laughs> I didn't go anywhere. One of just the, one of those little quibbles that we have foibles. Yes. Yeah, and and I'm learning as I get a bit older. I'm learning to get less agitated by it. But I, I'm delighted to hear that you get agitated by that, as I do. Well, um, if yourself if yourself doesn't mind, <laughs> move on to the next question. <laughs> yes. Um, so so Ben, thank you for that. A great cracking start. So, um, but it could have warmed up. You did well on that red card. Talk, how do you get to this this day today? Tell us a little bit about your. Uh, your your life to date. Give us a potted history of, of Ben. Oh God, right. This is um, this, this sort of length of answer has changed rapidly from card to card. It's not for <laughs> <one 40 minutes. laughs> Okay, yeah, sure. Try to keep yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, reasonable. sure. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Fine. Well, I'll just I'll give you an answer, and then you can hopefully in the edit make it more interesting if it drags <laughs> on a bit. But I was born um, in the northeast of England in a small seaside town, which we actually discussed. Uh, early on, done. We, we did. We did. S- Saltburn by the sea. Saltburn by the sea. Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful, but with, without loads to do <laughs> for a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I took the usual route through college and stuff like that. And then at that point, I decided I wanted to. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, so I went to Australia for a year. Um, had a great time there. Came back. Went to university. Still, just followed to where my friends had gone. And then basically after university, again, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I ended up 
applying for a job as a office runner in TV, a TV company in Angel. And I did that for a while and then sort of worked myself up through the, the usual route, ended up in the BBC for a few years and then at Endemol Shine where I ended up becoming an international format exec. I was working across their biggest formats, so, you know, stuff like MasterChef, Total Wipeout, um, Big Brother. Also, shows like Help My Dogs As Fat As Me, which wasn't quite as successful. It nearly fell off the list there. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a one-series um, format. Didn't, didn't sell internationally. But then um, after um, a few years at Endemol, um, I basically I was contacted by a Lad Bible group who were looking to move from one-off viral videos into returning formats and IP. Uh, and what I'd done in my TV career at that point was all formats. Just everything I'd done was formats, repeatable IP. And that's what Lad Bible really wanted. So I wasn't interested in the slightest, but you always take, you know, the meeting. Why not? You might meet someone interesting. And I met the two founders and they were interesting. And the stuff they talked about was really interesting. And over about six interviews, I went from thinking, so what, take the meeting, go back to your day job to thinking, oh my God, this is really interesting. There's something really different here. And it felt like quite a risk because I didn't know anyone else that had done that. And there wasn't that many companies doing, trying to move from that kind of viral one-off nature to a, to a building out a bigger thing. But I decided to go for it. And um, so I moved across to Lad Bible Group and over almost five years, I built out their original content um, the, the celebrity content, the junkets, things like Snack Wars and First Impressions, the, um, the, 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 the factual stuff like the Minutes With or The Gap, if anyone's seen any of that stuff, and the podcast Extraordinary Lives. I uh, built up a really, really brilliant team, like fantastic, uh, I would say industry leading, certainly in the UK, and had a really great time, had a great experience, uh, learned a lot, and then came to a point where I sort of thought, what's the next step now? You know, because you can, you know, I'm 42, I've got a child, I'm not going to take many more risks now, but I thought I've probably got one more in me, one or two. And so starting a company was something that felt as mad as joining Lad Bible from a comfortable TV position had felt back then. Mm. And that leads us to three weeks ago. So sorry, I hope that was potted. <laughs> I hope that was potted oh, enough. <laughs> Here we That's are. great. It, yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because I really like how you you didn't have one of those sort of very chronological career histories that you knew what you wanted to do from the age of seven, but you actually had to do quite a lot of other things in order for it to to pop up, which I think is for many of us actually on that journey. Sometimes you know you don't you don't know. And Dan and I are now into our third career, so where we started was absolutely not where we've ended up. And hey, if you're in your forties making a risk, no, 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 we're, we're in our late fifties making cranking a risk. So <laughs> you know, there's always one more. There's always one more in you. Well, that's good to hear. You said you spent five years in Japan, and I would imagine that was quite formative. What did those years teach you from a cultural perspective about working? as a team and working with other people and connection? I can sum this whole experience up in one anecdote, basically. When I, when I was in Japan, the first year I was in Japan, um, Hurricane Katrina hit in America. And the same week, the same week uh, where I was in Japan, the city I was in, was hit by the biggest typhoon they'd had in 70 years. 
And when I woke up in the morning, there was, you know, cars were just overturned, trees were overturned, roofs were ripped off buildings. It was absolute devastation. Now, when I woke up that morning and looked out on the street, what I saw was people in all different types of uniform, whether postmen, office workers, whatever, standing side by side, just moving trash into piles or like rolling cars back onto its side. When Hurricane Katrina hit in America, depending on which news reports you watch, sure, but it certainly wasn't what what the reports I saw certainly wasn't that. And it had a big impact on me because I suddenly thought, I'm not having a go at America. I think what it was representative of to me was that where I'd come from, I'd been brought up feeling as though I needed to, I needed me to succeed. I needed to do the best I could for me. And suddenly I was in a society which was very much about the group and the team. Now, I've got also stories about times that went too far in Japan and things that felt uncomfortable and, you know, losing a sense of self, whatever. But just at a baseline, there was something that I saw there where I thought, have we lost the ability to stand side by side and not and do something because it'll be better for a load of strangers you'll literally never meet. Someone whose car that's been trashed in the middle of the road, you'll never know who that person was, but rolling their car over and being late for your job to do it, would we would we have done that? in England and I, I didn't know if the answer was definitely yes and basically that that sort of anecdote is is probably symbolic of the effect that Japan had on me where I've always since felt that if you work as part of a happy team that are sort of leaning, leaning on each other you will achieve way more than you possibly can if you're saying come on guys we've all got to do this we've all got to do this but in your head you're going but I'm going to push for that promotion for me and whatever everyone else gets is scraps. You know, it does take time, but you can surround yourself with people who will be genuinely happy if someone else gets a pay rise and they don't because it means that the pay rise is possible. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that from the point of view of being some kind of corporate shill where I'm saying that you should be grateful for your job and you shouldn't be asking for a pay rise. You should all be push, pushing for pay rise and I'll be pushing for more and promotions but I guess my point is that I guess thinking about it like a sports team where you know you you're, you're charging out onto the field and you're all like come on guys come fight win if one of you trips over it's bad for everyone else so help that person up and push them to the front while you're running together well I think the um the, the, the Spanish women's soccer team is a pretty good example of that that they're unified standing behind one player is a yeah, pretty good example. So I started listening to Lad Bible. Well, in actual fact, it was really interesting. I started getting, um, as these things do, the algorithms on Facebook started popping up for me. And I thought, what on earth has a late 50s-year-old woman got anything interesting about Lad Bible? Why is this thinking that it was something that was great when I was sort of back in the 80s as a student? And it was always what the perception of the brand was that, you know, it was it was a little risque. It was a little bit more towards the male perception of how we saw things. And, you know, and was it also a little bit dated to to like it, you know, given sort of where 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 we've all grown and learned in the in the last decade or so. But I did see this extraordinary lives and I started, you know, just the, the again, some of the reels came through and I thought, this is really interesting. And I was 
last year we um, renovated our house. So while I was doing different bits of it, I was listening to you interview the most diverse range of people I have I have ever come. It was a little bit like I've always had a slight interest, a big interest actually in autobiographies. This was the podcast of ordinary people who had extraordinary experiences and then you got to have a fireside chat. So the, where I want to start today is where was the genesis of this idea and what are you trying to achieve by having such a diverse range of people to be interviewed? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think advertisers on our show also had the same question. Because <laughs> often when you're trying to get these kind of sponsors reads, they want something to be very familiar week to week. And if you're speaking to somebody who's escaped North Korea twice one week and then uh, someone who was lost at sea the next and a, and a porn star the next, it's quite hard for people to figure out, you know, what is this about? But I think you've nailed it, Pierre. It's more, you know, the clue was in the title. It's just trying to find people who had an incredible experience and give ordinary people like myself a window into that extraordinary life. Um, so where did it come from? Okay, I think your summary at the beginning about the company was was really accurate. And one of the things that they wanted to do when I joined was they, one of the directions we could have taken, we sat down at the beginning of my time at Lad Bible and basically said, you know, discussed what we were going to do. And one of the things you can do when a company is huge, like Lad Bible, is do more of the same. It's massive, so it's successful, so you can do more of the same. But ultimately, what you're doing then is serving more content to the same audience when you're already very successful. Now, what you discussed at the beginning, Pierre, is I think what a lot of people felt, which is that maybe if they were female and had a certain political disposition, maybe Lad Bible wasn't for them, and actually maybe they were meant to dislike it. So what I was interested in is thinking about how do we not try to super serve the audience that are already invested in that platform, but how do we try and attract a different type of person? And um, I'm very, very interested in in people and, you know, the things humans do. And I watch a lot of content about that. And I really believe that if we could present people uh, that were interesting enough then people, the audience that were already bought into Lad Bible would go on a journey with us and would, would, you know, would come along on that, on that, on that new direction. And we'd be able to start picking up people who might not have looked before, but might start to take a second look. So we, in lockdown, at the start of lockdown, we decided to commit to a show that we would be able to film within the guidelines um, and that was a show called Minutes With. And that was a simple studio-based show where we had a talking head against a, a backdrop. And so each episode was called Minutes With a bah, 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 bah. Minutes With a Bodyguard, Minutes With a Stuntman, Minutes With a Ghost Hunter, whatever it was. And the first series did did really quite well. And we committed to that. And we basically, at the point I left the company a couple of months ago, we'd run one every Sunday for 150 weeks. And then we decided that we wanted to look at podcasts because one of the things that we did at Lad Bible in, in Lad Bible Studios is what we call pre-versioning. So a lot of companies reversion content. So they shoot something and then they chop it up and put it on different platforms. But the thing is, if you film a YouTube video and then chop it up for five other platforms, you've got one video that is perfect for its platform and you've got five that aren't. 
Mm. It's not. Bit Frankenstein. Bit Frankenstein, yeah. So what we did was we moved from reversioning to pre-versioning. And that meant that before we made the content, we were thinking, where, how is this going to look on TikTok and on Twitter and on Spotify? And we wanted to push that as far as we could. And we were thinking, if we can get something that can be audio only as well as visual and work on all these platforms, that's basically the full house. That's everything. That means that the one piece of content is going live on every platform. And we really like that idea of just being able to get something out everywhere and making it feel native to those platforms. So Extraordinary Lives was basically an extension of the Minutes With show, which was that with Minutes With, we'd, we'd bring people in and we'd, we'd interview them and then we'd quite heavily edit it down. We'd interview them over an hour or 90 minutes and get it to 20 minutes. With Extraordinary Lives, we'd make a, a sort of hour-long show and... Um, we put it out almost unedited We because we really wanted people to feel that they were not being told a story that we wanted them to hear. We wanted them to be told, to feel like they were being told a real story. And the producer's hand was very clear. You got to see the background of the set. You could see bits of crew members in the background, bits of cable trailing around. And then as to your point about, you know, why is it so broad? Well, what we were really interested in in the beginning is starting to figure out what people wanted to hear and see so we wanted to make something with a a simple strand down the middle it had to be a really interesting story but we wanted to be able to go anywhere so that if people really liked one topic we could go back to that topic and start to kind of like hone in on what they wanted what, what the audience wanted to hear but what happened was that people did like the nature of it being quite amorphous you know, like what we found was that an episode that was completely in one direction and completely different to a the, the episode following it directly after could both generate large views. So we decided to just play into that. And it was more that it was what 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 I would love for people to feel by the end of the, the of the, the episodes that they listen to is that even if they're not particularly interested in the title or the type of job or the type of experience they trust that the podcast is going to bring an interesting story so they might get something out of it anyway so the um as a shorter answer to your to your question why 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 is it so broad it's just because we started off thinking we'll hone in onto people the specific thing people like whether that be crime army stories you know, the sex industry, whatever it was. But actually, there wasn't a hugely discernible difference between stories. People seemed to like the breadth of it. And you sort of touched on this, but what we talk a lot on uh, on the way about organisations and teams having this sense of purpose. And, you know, I was when I searched on Lad Bible and purpose and what it was trying to achieve, because I knew it had this, I think you'd mentioned that it had this shift. You know, you, you read things like sort of about redefining what it means to be a lad, an aspirational version of a lad, you know, getting into mental health and climate and all of these things. And, um, you know, that suddenly, I guess there's a commercial reason to broaden your audience, but it sounds like there was also this sense of how can we do some good in the world? What was that mixture? Where did that come from? And um, that uh, the genesis of this shift, because, you know, interestingly, by the way, just I'll let you answer, but all the dates, timestamps on things I've heard about this shift were 
2017 2018 which is when you were joining so right yeah well i can't yeah i, I don't want to take credit for well i do want to take credit for all of it but i won't take credit Excellent. for all of it because it there were a lot of people involved in all those different sort of areas that you're describing but i think what i think happened was a bunch of different people were brought in in senior positions and really those people were given quite a lot of autonomy so the people were given kpis so you had your targets but if the owners felt that was being achieved then they were quite happy for you to push into a direction and there was a point in time where it felt like there was a lot of kind of directors and heads who had similar thought processes and similar directions that they thought were valuable to go into and so one of the things I'll always be very grateful for was that really my what they really wanted me to do was push the brand in a different direction and attract a new audience and in all honesty, they didn't, they gave me a lot of autonomy. They didn't really, they were happy with how it was going. They were happy with the awards that were being won. And so they were just fairly happy that that was happening. And I think it was, it didn't feel like when I was there, there was a, everyone was sat down and said, right, we now want to push into, you know, uh, this kind of wellness or things like that. But it did feel like people were given an opportunity who ran different areas of whether it be marketing or original content like myself to put forward what they thought they should do. And if they tried it and it worked, you know, people were rewarded. And, and also, I, you know, I don't want to do them down in terms of they like the idea that the company could be a positive force for change in society as well. And that, that would be my next question, which was, what was the impact? I mean, obviously there's a commercial and there's a viewers rating and there's a business element to this. But what was the personal impact for you interviewing? That, that that diverse range and what was the impact on your listeners did you get feedback did you what did you start to see happen we were lucky because the first one we ever did was a series called the gap the idea of the gap is that someone from an older generation sits down uh, with someone from a younger generation and they have a shared experience and the, through the conversation you get to see how society's views on those people have changed how people was you know viewed and treated in the past compared to modern day and the first one we ever did was um uh, an old a uh, world war ii veteran and uh, a young war veteran who was suffering from ptsd and uh that was our most successful video of all time so we, it was good because the first one we ever did was our most successful video which meant that even after that we could have a few missteps but we had that one going oh there's something there but when we being in the room and watching that play out, I remember thinking, why don't people have these conversations all the time in society? And why don't we watch people having them? Like watching two people who gave their lives to war, talking about the effects it had on them and thinking that that's happening right now today in every country around the world. It's like, it's not like you even have to say, you know, oh, so war's bad, isn't it? It's just getting information from people who lived through an experience. I just remember thinking like, this is absolutely amazing. And then we pushed into that. And then one of the next ones we did was two addicts, one that had been uh, an, uh, an, an alcoholic and um, was a recovered alcoholic. And then a younger person who'd been addicted to sort of club drugs in modern day things that you take in the clubs and was just, just, just recovered. And um, that, was amazing because in the YouTube comments, 
they just started spiraling in them into people talking to each other, people saying like, oh my God, I can't believe I watched this. I, I almost relapsed and I watched this. And then someone underneath writing, this is amazing to read. I've been there before. If you ever need to per- DM someone, just message me on YouTube. I'm happy to talk to you. And, I, and it just started spiraling. And then the thing is we had... I'd brought someone over from TV who was like was incredibly talented and also very good at understanding people and we had this we we had this team around that were going this doesn't have to be some sort of passion project this is also fascinating and if you like documentary you'll enjoy this and so it started to grow and spiral into this thing where there was a group of us making this content and we were doing very lighthearted stuff too. We were doing, you know, meeting all these different celebrities, your Arnold Schwarzenegger's, Billie Eilish's, but the factual side of it, um, we had a group of us that were taking turns doing the interviews kind of one in one off. But if you watch the series of Minutes With, because that's our longest running one, that's the reason I keep coming back to it, you'll see the names of the producer keep cycling around and it's either me or Maria, Mariana, I think, has done the most, and or Danny, who's who was one of the who was the first guy that I brought across. And more recently there's a, an Australian girl called Erin. And because there was three or four of us cycling through these very, very heavy interviews and topics, you had a kind of group where you could constantly talk about it. So I think there was periods where there was one I did, which I'm not going to name. It was a very heavy topic. And afterwards, the person was very troubled by having re- relived some of the um, events. And I, 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 all of us in that group would always stay in touch with people as much as they wanted to afterwards. And I ended up talking to that person quite often. And it was quite, it took quite a toll. And I know that the other producers and directors had similar things but what really helped was that you you had each other to talk to so it was quite hard because when you're doing something that raw and you're getting that deep into a story you're kind of in uncharted territory or we certainly were Um, but having a group around you that were doing the same thing and believed that it was for you know when I had been completely honest when I was in tv I quite often felt like no matter what the project was. I worked on a couple of projects when I was in my younger years in TV and I still felt like it was being done for entertainment. So even if you were doing quite a heavy topic and subject, it was like you were going to get the thing that had been promised to the commissioner that you'd get. So it wasn't honest in the sense that, like, uh, you know, I was once told uh, going into an interview, so the director couldn't, attend the interview and I had to go instead and I was told by the director on the phone you have to make him cry oh my word yeah wow yeah yeah so um so I didn't like that but when you go into a conversation where you know that what you want is just the honest truth of someone's opinion and the thing that was great about Lad Bible was it was such a huge platform that people were grateful to be able to have this voice that was being projected out um, it became, it made it all a lot easier. But it was, it was, uh, you know, there was some intense times. It was, it was having the team, it was having the team around. That's what made it work. And it's interesting. You, you talked about the power of the conversation and that degree of honesty, and certainly the work that that we do, working with teams and with leaders. There appears to be a leaning towards being interesting 
as opposed to being interested. And I think that's something that I noticed a lot around Extraordinary Lives. It was it was that degree of curiosity, that honest curiosity and being really interested in such a broad range. And I felt that was a really interesting role model because sometimes social media teaches us to judge and not to seek and find out, whereas a pure conversation, the power of it, almost tracks back into our sort of natural DNA to want to connect. I'm really pleased that you felt that. And um, I mean, that, you're right in that it was an intentional thing and it comes from two very simple reasons. One is that I don't like watching uh, interviews where I feel like the interviewer wants to talk because that's not why I'm ever, I'm never ever tuning in for an interviewer. Like even if there's interviewers I like, they're not why I'm watching the product. And the second thing is there's just no world where if I'm sitting down opposite a North Korean escapee, I can have anything interesting to say. So I, but what I did, what I did have is by that point, several years of reading comments on videos and understanding when viewers are either confused or, or will have an opinion. So what I saw my role is, as is the voice of the viewer. So if I didn't understand any something, I knew that the viewer wouldn't. So therefore, I just asked them to clarify. And if they said something that I felt was hypocritical, I never felt like it was my job to, to challenge them on it. But if I knew that there'd be 100 comments of people saying, but hang on a minute, they said that a minute ago, then I should ask that question because then that can tie off a confusion for a viewer later. So ultimately, I just... I could have been off camera, but we decided to do it on camera. So I didn't see myself as a host in the traditional sense. I saw it as a continuation of what myself, Mariana, Danny and Erin had done on the previous interview shows, but this one just happened to be on camera. And actually, originally, it was going to be an alternation between myself and Danny, the other producer. We were going to do one off, one on, but he was sick for the week of the first shoot and then after that, the oh, bad luck. Yeah, well, yeah. I think. I mean, I think he was probably secretly glad to be honest. <laughs> but the uh, he was he, he he was busy enough. He had a lot of work. Um, but after that, the um, the company we will work with to promote it and get sponsors basically said it works out better if you keep the same host. So we just went with that. There's some deep stuff that you've got into there, and. Uh, You've also mentioned snack wars. This is, you know, where a celebrity eats a snack from a foreign country and comments on it. I mean, you know, that in itself as an idea is, so if I was told that that was interesting, I would think, I doubt it. But having seen a couple, it's so compelling. Um, And you can't not watch it. What I wanted to touch on, and and I know this is, is the creative process. Where... Where do the ideas come from and what's the climate in the organization and the team that, that, that allows those things to bubble up? Yeah, well, we the originals team just had full autonomy for idea generation, ideation generation, directing, producing, editing and putting out. And then we had to be responsible for how it did. So if it did badly, that was an issue. If it did well, that was great. Um, with a lot of those celebrity pieces what was so fantastic about coming from tv is when you work in development in tv almost every idea you come up with someone says to you yeah it's great but it'd be a good segment on a bigger show so 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 you just basically have this library of ideas in the back of your head which were like little things that weren't big enough for a tv show but in terms of a sort of eight minute 
social media video, you know, and we tried loads of stuff that didn't work as well. But, you know, snack was eating food on the internet, the versus thing. That was just one that people people liked. And I, I, I loved watching that kind of content anyway. The other one that we did that was successful was First Impressions, which was just cards on the table. The celebrities pick one up. They have to do an impression. It says on the card on Schwarzenegger or whatever, and they have to do an impression, and the celebrity on the other side has to guess it. It's that simple. But the thing that's great about it is people doing a good impression is quite fun to watch, and people doing a terrible impression is even better. So it's just these kind of little cycles. Win-win. Yes, win-win. <laughs> so you're now moving on to a, an exciting new phase with Strongwatch Studios. What's the vision you want to create there, Ben? So it is an exciting new chapter. It's also a terrifying new chapter. But <laughs> um, I'm working with a guy, my co-founder, a guy called Tom, who's really is very generous of spirit and also has that kind of sense of um, wanting to push through together, do things together. Feels like feels like that kind of like team sense of team, bring people up, and we're really looking to do what we did at Lad Bible again, but ultimately, I guess, on a bigger scale. Eventually, you know, it'll be hard to get. We'll, we won't be as big as Lad Bible as a company, but in terms of the original content and Lad Studios, which was a bit Tom and I were running at Lad Bible, he was the um, strategy director and I was a creative director, expanding on that. And we still want to tell these amazing stories. We still want to meet people and shine a light on people's stories, open a window to worlds that the average person doesn't get to experience, doesn't see exist. But we also want to help... From a business side, we want to work with clients who are, you know, I spoke earlier about having a TV background. My co-founder, Tom, also has a TV background. He was a TV commissioner. I was an exec. And we want to look at how we unite TV and social video, two industries we've now worked in and like very much. And I think historically, those two things were seen as rivals. And when we're in TV, People certainly were disparaging about social videos, saying it was trash and throwaway and, you know, dogs slipping over on ice, which, you know, a lot of is. And on the other side, um, you know, quite often in social video, people would sort of be disparaging about TV and say it's old fashioned and blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, they're both great. They both have an audience. People like them very much. I think they used to be very different and they used to feel like two industries. But moving forward, they should start feeling like one industry because it's all distribution. It's all broadcast. It's letting people find content they want to watch. So we should be trying to, wherever they want to watch it, whenever they want to watch it, whether it's on their phone, whether it's on a smart TV, a laptop, whatever, then we should be distributing that content all over the place. And that's ultimately what Strongwatch Studios is trying to do, unite those two worlds while at the same time building up a a load of um, brands of original content that hopefully people will find interesting. I'm sure having listened to you and talked to you for 40 minutes or so I'm sure they will and um, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show and find someone who's out there with this uh, you know and that with this we not me mindset and um, and also to sort of uncover some of these things that have happened to a big brand like Lad Bible that's genuinely made the planet better in that direction I'm sure your your future um your tr- future travels will continue in that direction. But I just wanted to thank yourself for, uh, for joining us on the show. <laughs> you, it was going good, really good well. Call, yeah, yeah. Good callback. Good callback. 
<laughs> but no, sincerely, uh, it's been a, a real joy to have you on the show, Ben. Thank you so much for the time today. And um, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was really nice to be. Ah, uh, uh, it's been wonderful. Great conversation. Thanks, Ben. Great to be asked. Thank you. The thing that really struck me, I still really think about this quite a lot, is the the sort of when we talk about that purpose. You can to to us, it was clear that they have made a shift. Lad Bible made a shift, and that they um, they were doing some really good things for the world. Sort of harnessing that ability to produce amazing viral content for good. But interesting, the birth of that was very was seemed to be more pragmatic actually that they've got the opportunity to do something and they were given that space and they went into that space without we didn't hear from ben oh we really wanted to you know create a better world through our content even though it was it was really clear and from what they were doing that it was i think some of the messaging from coming from lad bible at the time was definitely around trying to expand that idea of the lad to be a bit more constructive so I, it, it was definitely in their hearts i think but it was sort of almost a pragmatic commercial drive that they were allowed to take that put them into these took them to these new spaces i agree but I, and what makes commercial sense in media is how, is how many either eyeballs you've got on content or you're listening to things. And what's really interesting is, is they had 150 weeks of every Sunday of that series a minute with, and that was ordinary people with amazing stories. And that generated a, I think that was quite organic. That generated an interest. And it shows that however much we sometimes think we're not, we're so connected to what other people are doing. and and. What I think the Extraordinary Lives did was actually dig deeper into that and build out that authenticity and and build our level of curiosity because the guests just got really, really interesting. (laughs) And with the types of people that you may never have had that opportunity to sit down and have a fireside chat. I haven't talked to many porn stars in my life as yet, but that was a good opportunity to do so. And that broadens your mind. Yes, definitely. I think they did that. And I think that you, but it's, it's heartening that you can get a lot of viewers and listeners by doing non-constructive things, by being divisive, actually. So they, you know, and I think that's probably where they took a turn. And I think also, if we think about leaders out there, teams, there's a bit where you're trying to do good, but you, we've all got to think about ways to to do that in a in a way that's going to be compelling as well. Um, people don't like eating too much spinach, so uh, they've done a done a clever job. I think they did a really clever job of making it compelling while actually taking their audience in this direction. And I think the you know Ben's story about his time in Japan at the time of Katrina and his view that there was sort of the reaction was totally different was such a a revealing conversation, wasn't it, to say that he saw this real community spirit and the standing side by side. It, clearly, this is something that Ben is on a mission to um, to to achieve, which was which is really heartening. And he also talked about the power of conversation and sort of like the you know al- almost the dilutive effect of social media, which, as you say, can be divisive. But they took people and made a powerful conversation because. Ben appears to be an incredibly humble guy, but his powers of questioning and curiosity and the gentle way that he got some pretty 
interesting information out of people was was really powerful. And you know, it, people always used to always used to joke about my dad that you know he could find out more about my friends in five minutes than you know most other people could. And that's a power that Ben has, and that's a big lesson that that being interested and getting information about people rather than making a judgment, which is a lot of the things that we do. So that's a key part of leadership. That's a key part of being with people. And I think that's what we all actually, even though we may not be able to articulate it, we find that really appealing. We kind of, that's core to us. You're so right. He's, um, and he said that he represents the listener and it really did. I also think there's something about Ben that he he's able to do that. You know, you sometimes watch these podcast and there's some big star doing this thing and there's sort of an agenda whereas i think ben really was our voice in those things and and i think as you say what we can take away from this is the power of conversation and the power of questions and he he, it's well worth a listen extraordinary life to hear how he sort of gently has this conversation which i think we would love to have with these people and he sort of hosts that for us it's um it's really good i think any leader can learn from from this experience that uh, that yeah you say power of conversation absolutely wonderful but that is it for this episode you can find show notes on squadify.net under resources if you've enjoyed the show please share the love and recommend it to your friends if you'd like to contribute to the show just email us at we not me pod at gmail.com we Not Me is produced by Mark Stedman of Origin. Thank you so much for listening. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me.